RadioInfluence.com This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Welcome into the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd of RadioFluence.com and the MMA Report.com. And of course, I am joined by Sam Kaplan. Sam, how's it going, man? Going well. The the holiday season edition of the MMA Insiders, Jason. Good to be back to do another episode for everybody. Lots to talk about per usual when we get together and do these shows. It, it's uh, it, it's a very interesting time in MMA when you, when you look at a lot of things. Of course, we we tend to talk more about the business side. Just let everyone know what's kind of coming up on this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the UFC television deal with the stuff that's out there about the. Uh, negotiations that are currently going on between the UFC and other people. We'll talk about Ben Askren, uh, some stuff on the commission side, uh, you know, fighter pay, uh, also the Bellator heavyweight tournament. Plus, I'm going to get Sam's take on Vulcan Olsmere. If, if he was in UFC matchmaker shoes, how would he handle that situation? Of course, everyone knows what's going on with Vulcan uh, outside of MMA with his legal issues. With Sam, let's, let's start off by talking about this UFC television deal. Of course, uh, I think it's something we've been talking about probably for about the past year and I guess it was about uh, two weeks ago or so uh, Sports Business Journal came out with a report uh, about kind of where the negotiations are at right now and, and to me the, the thing that stuck out to me above everything else is the fact of the current rights holder is only offering 200 million and to me that's very telling and that's the high bid I mean, they are free to negotiate with anyone now the exclusive rights negotiation period has ended, and as far as I know, no one is even within the realm of the Fox Sports offer of $200 million a year, which is pretty generous when you consider that the UFC ratings are trending downward. And this is a substantial 100% increase of, over what they're currently getting from their partner. So it's a very strong offer, and I don't see any other parties right now, Jason, coming in and usurping the, the high bid from Fox. You know, I know that ESPN has been mentioned, but ESPN, they just went through another round of layoffs, 150, uh, you know, personnel laid off right before the holidays. I don't believe anyone's on camera, but, you know, a lot of people behind the scenes in their digital departments, you know, they had the 100 layoffs that they did earlier this year. And there's rumors right now, Jason, that when the NFL deal that they have, the Sunday night rights deal, when that, uh, not pardon me, not Sunday night, the the Monday, that's the deal they used to have, the Monday night rights, the Monday night football deal, when that comes up, there's speculation that ESPN will get out of the NFL business because they're paying billions for that TV package and the games that they're getting right now are not attractive. So, you know, the, the ESPN's downsizing. They're, they're contracting right now. I don't see them necessarily getting into the UFC business. I know they did a deal with Top Rank. They're going to bring some high-profile boxing fights. They've already done a few, but they're going to be doing a lot more in 2018. I just don't see this being the right time for ESPN to get in the MMA business. So if you don't have ESPN, who else is out there? We've talked about Turner, you and I, uh, you know, off, uh, you know, kind of 
offline, we both have spoken to sources that said Turner Sports could be a player for the UFC uh, during this negotiation period. But I've also spoken to people who said don't don't buy into that necessarily. That could be leaked out there. Uh, by certain sources with the strategic purpose of trying to create a, a market that may or may not be there. And, you know, Turner is the type of company where if they have a good relationship with Ario Emanuel, they may be okay. They may have given permission to have their name floated out there, but I don't see them being a sincere, true bidder for this package because they're, you know, TBS, TNT, they're top 10 networks right now. You know, they're both very strong. I don't see them necessarily needing needing to outlay three hundred to four hundred million dollars a year for non scripted programming for live sports programming that's not the NBA that's not Major League Baseball. I just don't see them being a legitimate suitor for the UFC. And if you don't have those two companies, who else is out there? I mean, you know, there, there's the digital play, you know, Hulu and Netflix, but they haven't really done anything with live sports. Hulu has a live TV component that you can subscribe to, but none of it is unique content. Their unique content is strictly on their regular, you know, 995 or whatever they're charging these days platform, their streaming platform, and they don't have any live content, you know, on that that traditional platform that they, they that they do. I'm not talking about the skinny bundle, cable bundle that they're doing for 39.95 a month. I'm talking about their regular Hulu service that most people that a lot of people subscribe to. Netflix, you know, I think a lot of that when you hear those reports that Netflix is going to get into live, you know, TV and and live sports, I think that a lot of that, when you hear those reports, it's wishful thinking coming from the content partner. I've never received any true in indication from Netflix that they want to get into the sports business and start broadcasting live events. I think that their $6 billion a year that they invest on content, that is for scripted programming. I don't think you're going to see them anytime soon venture off into the realm of live sports. Amazon, you know, great. You know, maybe you can do a deal with Amazon and Jeff Bezos, and that would be, you know, uh, an interesting partnership. But are you going to get the platform? Are you going to get the 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 visibility that you need to drive a pay per view business? Even if they contract their pay per views, Jason, would they get enough exposure through Amazon Video to 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 drive those those viewers to to significant pay per view numbers? You know, there's a lot of things you mentioned there. I think from the reporter side, one of the things you have to always think about when you are getting tipped off on information is, are you being used to get someone's narrative out there? And maybe it's not completely true. And that's as a reporter, you got to figure it out there. Uh, you know, not to get political, but, you know, when you look at what's going on with the Department of Justice and the AT&T, DirecTV and all that stuff going out there, that's another reason why I think Turner's not really a true yeah. player at this time. And the other part of the political side of this and whether people are really paying attention to it or not, for me, I am paying attention to this because, look, I, I have a digital media company that we are a content provider. We are – our business is based on people having access to the Internet and – but when you look at what's going on with net neutrality, <clears throat> if that ultimately goes through, there is part of me that wonders how that is going to affect streaming devices, whether we're talking about, you know, with Amazon's product or, or Netflix or, or any other streaming device out there, UFC Fight Pass, for instance. You know, to me, that's something monitoring. But I, I just, you know, and one of the questions we got was uh, from George, you know, saying that he believed the UFC can get $400 million a year from a network or networks, but he does believe that it would have to sacrifice some events that were meant I, for pay-per-view to broadcast TV. 
Look, I don't necessarily I, I, agree with that. And my view of this, Sam, is I think a lot different than a lot of people who cover MMA because, uh, you know, one of the things I do, and look, a lot of my work now is totally outside of MMA. And part of that is I, I am, you know, part of the marketing team in terms of, of a sports bar. I, I have uh, several different properties that, that I, I run the marketing for. And I can tell you that you just don't get the audience that comes out to watch a UFC pay-per-view like you did two years ago. You know, and that's why, you know, this past Saturday, UFC 218, leading into that fight, myself and the director of operations were, were talking about because, look, UFC 217, we had a great crowd that night. Tremendous crowd. And, you know, we were saying, go, look, UFC 218, great. It was a great fight card on paper. And uh, I watched it on Monday of this week. Great fight card. I I was thoroughly enjoyed watching that event. But I can tell you, it just didn't draw a crowd. And and that, to me, is the problem the UFC has. And that's where you, you look at some of these FS1 cards. And if I am Eric Shanks or any other television executive, why do I want to pay $300 million for some of the cards the UFC gives you? The only reason why you would pay that is if you're just trying to do a solid for Ari Emanuel. And from Fox's perspective, that $200 million, that increase of, of approximately $100 million a year, that could be their solid. They're solid for Ari Emanuel. You know, WME, IMG, their platform stretches across many entertainment genres. So, you know, I could see a company wanting to, to get in bed with an Ari Emanuel and, and do good by him because, you know, even if you overpay for the UFC, you may get residual value from future deals that fosters goodwills. Look, I, I did several deals like that when I was with Bellator. You know, I would uh, certain managers that, you know, I would sign guys that necessarily weren't of high interest to us. But, you know, if it was a manager that had brought us high level clients in the past and I wanted to do a solid for them. You know, they came to me and they had a guy that they were really pushing. They said, hey, Sam, I've got to get this guy a fight. I've got to get him a contract. You know, if it was a manager, say, like a Brian Butler who had signed Doug Lima and Pat Curran, you know, I was, you know, I was more than willing to do favors for for a, a business partner like that because they had, you know, been so favorable and so cooperative and so willing to work with us when so many other managers and agencies uh, weren't willing to do so. So, you know, deals like that do get done in the entertainment business. You know, I'm not comparing myself to these, these high level entertainment executives. It's, it's, it's kind of a microcosm, you know, what I had to go through, but what I'm trying to convey to the, to the listeners is, you know, deals don't necessarily get done for all the reasons that you see on the surface. Sometimes there's things beneath the surface um, you know, and, and deals do get political. You know, it's it's not always straightforward. It may look like, you know, the deal's getting done because of this, but there's other considerations at play that you may or may not be aware of. So, you know, could I see, you know, Arya Manuel being able to squeeze, you know, a little bit of extra money than, than the UFC is technically worth per year uh, in television? Possibly, because they have so many clients and so many deals in, under, in other entertainment genres. And another point to consider, you know, I respect George. He's a, he's a great listener. He, he's been listening to us for, for a long time, but I have to respect, respectfully disagree with him um, as well, Jason. You know, $400 million a year, that that's a lot of money. And there's other TV property, there's TV properties right now, other intellectual properties that are drawing more than $400 million a year, but they're bringing in massive audiences. 
per viewer, name me another television property right now, whether it be scripted, unscripted, sports, you know, uh, whatever, that's getting $400 million a year for the amount of viewership that the UFC attracts. Uh, you know, it's, it's a nice sized audience, but it's, it's not huge. It's not a $400 million a year audience. And the only person, the only property out there that I think it would even come close to paying that is Fox sports one. There's no one else out there that's going to drive that price up because it has the most value out of any network out there. Uh, to Fox Sports 1, you know, because Fox Sports 1 is in this competition with ESPN. It's not really a competition, but in the minds of Fox Sports executives, they've got to do whatever they can to keep Fox Sports 1 relative, uh, you know, uh, relevant and afloat. And, you know, the UFC is, is a massive source of programming for them. I mean, it's that so many hours a week are dedicated to the UFC. It's really, you know, their backdrop programming. I don't see any other networks right now, Jason, any other TV properties that need the that needs the UFC as much as Fox Sports One does. And if Fox Sports One needs them more than anyone and they're offering 200 million, you know, why is there any reason to believe that they're going to get a better offer than that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And another question that came in that was very much related to this was from uh, Brian Abraham asking if we think the UFC would look to have uh Broadcast deals over multiple outlets like the NFL, NBA, NHL, or will the UFC just look for one broadcast partner to get their much needed four hundred million per year? I, I think most likely to you know, it, it's but if look if you're Fox, you want to have the exclusive rights to it. You don't want to, but you know, I don't see Fox overpaying for the UFC. I mean, there, there's times Sam that I look at some of these FS1 cards and I'm like, how are what is a selling point to that male in his mid twenties? to sit at home on a Saturday night. Uh, you know, you, you look at, you know, Friday night's car, the ultimate fighter uh, finale. Uh, it was a fight card that, you know, look, not a lot of people are interested in it. The ratings showed. I mean, I mean, just look at MMA as a whole. Uh, you look at the UFC television ratings and you look at the Bellator ratings and you kind of sit there and say that, you know, where has the MMA audience gone? Is it just simply are, are we at a point in this sport where it's like you better put on a great fight card if you actually want people to sit at home on a Friday or Saturday night? Well, there's a lot of ways to address that question where the MMA audience has gone. I think a lot of us, Jason, that started really watching on a regular basis back in 2004, 2005, you know, and even if you you even if you're you know, a fan well before that, you really didn't have a lot of MMA to consume until that time. A lot of us that you know really started watching on a regular basis back then, we're a lot older now. We have kids. We have families. We don't have the ability necessarily to just go out to a bar um, with buddies and drink and, and watch fights. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily have the disposable income uh, to go and spend you know, $50, $60, $70 to sit at home and watch a pay-per-view on, on, you know, on a Saturday night unless it's a great fight. You know, people have mortgages. They've got rent. They've got you know, student loans to pay off. And I think the real core issue here is that, the, is that Evan May – is not captured the young millennial. I'm not necessarily talking about the 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 year old. I'm talking about the 18 to 22 year old, mm -hmm. the 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 new you know the the newer crop of people that are entering adulthood that are going to have that disposable income. I don't see MMA having a huge appeal to them. It's just not something that. They're as passionate about Jason as our our age group was when we first started watching it en masse in two thousand four, two thousand five. 
I'll tell you the interesting thing, and I've, I've talked about this on my normal podcast, uh, the MMA Report podcast, where I, I was talking about, we we really, myself and Daniel, have been talking about UFC Fight Pass, and my yearly subscription came up uh, at the end of last month, and I didn't renew it. You know, I just, I looked at the, what I was getting, uh, you know, looking during football season, I, I'm not home on the weekends, you know, a lot of times. So I don't watch these fight cards live, and but uh, on Monday of this week, I came, you know, I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to order a pay-per-view. Watched it, and they had a thing where uh, they gave me fifty percent off a six month subscription to Fight Pass. So I'm, I, so I was like, you know what? Hey, that's a great deal, five bucks a month. But it, to me, it kind of told me something, kind of where you know Fight Pass is currently. Because look, you know, sorry to all those regional promoters out there on Fight Pass. I don't pay, you know, uh, for a Fight Pass subscription to watch regional MMA. I'm sorry, I just great. don't. And I, if you like, if if you love regional MMA, you can a either go out and see it in your backyard, or b you can watch CBS Sports, uh, you know, and watch, you know, the, the uh, regional MMA that they have on there. LFA, it seems like they have a show, you know, every week on HDNet. So there's other options that don't necessarily, you know, consist of you paying $4.95, $9.95 a month to see. Yeah, I, I just, by the way, I mean, it's amazing to me how many events LFA has done their first year. It's crazy. It's I mean, for, crazy. for a regional yeah. promotion that's, I mean, and they're going all over the country and, and obviously you know they've, they've got to get those local ticket sellers on there to get people in the building because i've been to a couple of local shows here sam over the past couple of months and i mean man it's i'll sit there i look around and going man there is not a ton of people here and and, yeah. and, and that's like when i hear people complain about fighter pay and you know living conditions that a fighter may have like, don't sit, especially like if it's our first fight heading into the UFC, don't blame the UFC for that. That should tell you what regional pay is like. And ultimately, like, you know, like when I see all the, you know, people who are so for the Ali Act, I'm sitting there going, well, how's that going to help regional MMA? Because a lot of these promoters are struggling to get by. Yeah, it's just, it's just a different economic environment. The fan base, you know, I would say not only is changing, but in many ways has changed and the regional crowds aren't what they were. I would not want to be a promoter in regional MMA. Look, when I left Bellator, I, I, you know, went back to matrix fights. You know, we did a show, the show was a sellout and we broke even, you know, it's just, you know, the economic dynamics where it was such a, it's such a tight margin. I said, I'm not going to jeopardize my family's future by putting my own money into regional MMA. It just wasn't for me. And I, you know, to, to the, you know, promoters and investors out there that are investing in, in regional MMA, you know, God bless you. God bless you. Because, you know, young fighters need an opportunity to get experience, to build themselves up, to build their records up, to get to the UFC Bellator level and regional MMA, you know, without it, the the level of fight cards that we see from Bellator and UFC wouldn't be anywhere near the level that they are now. So they're 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 doing you know yeoman's work in, in MMA for the future of the sport, but they're not getting the compensation that they need to sustain uh, the schedules that that they're running. You know, a lot of I think there's going to be a lot of contraction at the regional level. And Jason, I do want to take a quick step back. The question was, do we see the UFC? you know, going after a secondary TV deal. I don't think they have a preference whether they they uh, have secondary or third TV partners. I think that, you know, their goal is $400 million, $450 million a year um, or to get as close to that as possible. And they don't. I don't think they have a preference as to how they get there. If they, if, it, if they need more than one partner, I'm sure they're willing to do that. 
but you kind of touched on it, Jason. You know, if Fox Sports 1 isn't getting the best shows that they would like right now, you know, they're not getting the, the types of matchups and the, the, the caliber of fighters that they would like on a consistent basis. If they're not getting that now, splitting that TV deal up and saying, hey, this pool of fighters is going to be on this network while this pool of fighters is going to be on that network. Well, it'd be great for the UFC if they could pull two deals together. How attractive is that for your TV partner? You know, th- there's a lot of talk not only about the, the the Monday night deal for ESPN, but that Thursday night deal that the NFL has. You know, the players don't the players association they want to get out of Thursday night football. They don't feel it's safe for players to come back on such a short uh, time frame. And you know, some of the networks, you know, they're questioning why they're paying so much for a really watered down week Thursday night package of games so as much as the nfl wants to continue thursday night football it may not be feasible and you're looking at the nfl so if the nfl can't sustain necessarily keep all these multiple uh tv partners with and tv packages you know rolling uh, if they're having trouble with that if there's questions about that for the future of that type of uh cross-pollination then how's that going to work for mma which is more which is closer to a fringe sport than it is mm-hmm. to a major uh franchise sport so i'm sure the ufc would wouldn't balk at that opportunity, but I don't think it's going to be out there. I think if you do see a secondary TV deal, it might be with a streaming partner. It might be with an Amazon where you're not going to see high level fight cards, but you may get some of their, uh, you know, the Dana White fight uh, Tuesday night contender series or some of the reality shows that they do. You know, they might try to put together, you know, some of the fight pass content that they've been producing, try to pull that together, put it into one package and get a secondary TV partner like Amazon and get rights fees rather than have to, you know, go through the subscription business of trying to attract, you know, customers at nine ninety five a month. Um, you know, they may fur- they may further downgrade their position, you know, with the with their OTT play and get out of uh, Fight Pass and take that content somewhere else and try to get some money. But I don't see two primary TV deals in the future for the UFC anytime soon. Yeah, I'll tell you when I cancel my uh, Fight Pass originally, I got this amazing email and I'm trying to I'm trying to find it here on my on my phone. But it was it was these six compelling reasons to keep Fight Pass. <laughs> Sam, one of the reasons was exclusive interviews. I was like, what? <laughs> That's a compelling reason. Interviews is why I should have Fight Pass. Like, like I mean, like I, I look at the Fight how Pass. How exclusive product. are they, Jason? Yeah, I mean, like I, I look at like like Dana White's Tuesday, not, not uh, the looking for a fight thing. It's exclusive of Fight Pass for twenty four hours, and then it goes right on YouTube. A lot of that content they put on Fight Pass ends up on on their YouTube channel anyway. But to me, like uh, Fight Pass could be so much of a better product than what it is. Uh, you know and. If I am Fox or any other TV uh, partner out there that potentially wants to get in bed with the UFC, there's so many fight cards I go, mm, you know, do I want to, you know, have seven hours of programming on a Saturday night for that fight card? And it was an interesting question we got from uh, Joe Daddy saying, if we were Fox, would you want the Lawler versus Doanios fight, which is uh, come up here on two weeks, uh, September 16th, or a replay of UFC 218? Is it all about live sports? Or ratings? It's a good question. It's it's all about ratings at the end of the day because ratings is, is what drives ad revenue, and ad revenue is what keeps these networks afloat. I mean, sure, they, the cable subscription fees are, are great, but without the ad revenue, they, you don't really have a channel. Yeah. So, you know, it all comes back to ratings. I'm sure they would love to get a replay, but that's – you know, hindsight, it's 2020. You look at the replay that the UFC did last year on Christmas Eve on Fox – 
I mean, it turned out that they had the right kind of card uh, to, to put on there. It was a great show, and there was an opening, and they put it on there. You you don't know you didn't know that UFC 218 was going to be such a such a great pay per view, and I don't think that option to replay it so soon will, will be available anyway. You look at what HBO and Showtime has done over the years with boxing. You know, I I'm a huge Floyd Mayweather fan. I've watched a lot of his fights. I haven't really paid for many of them because I would just watch them a week later on HBO mm-hmm. or Showtime. You know, I didn't necessarily have the need to watch them live if I could save a lot of money and watch it a week later for you know my basic subscription package. So, you know, the UFC can't get in a habit of doing those kinds of things because it's going to eat away at their pay-per-view numbers. If people, you know, uh, feel like they can wait a week, then they're going to wait a week in certain cases. You know, there's always going to be that level of, of consumer that has to watch it live and has to watch it right away. But then you've got a lot of people that are on the fence and whether or not they, they make that final decision to buy uh, it could play into the, uh, you know, the, a factor in their decision could be whether or not they're going to be able to watch it free within a relatively soon proximity of time. You know, I, I, I felt that uh, Bellator replaying their their pay-per-view this past summer so soon on Spike right after it aired. I believe that was a mistake because I believe it conditions the the potential pay-per-view buying audience to think, hey, you know, I, I really want to see these fights, but, you know, I, I've spent money on this, this and that. You know, it's my bank account is it, hurting right now. I may just wait three or four weeks and watch this for free. Um, whereas if they didn't know they had that option, they may have gone over the top and just said, you know what? I, you know, it's not a great financial time for me, but I need to see these fights. I'm going to pay it and worry about it later. So you kill, you start to kill that audience. Uh, you know, the audience that's on the fence when you start putting, you get in the habit of putting pay premium content on TV for free just a few weeks later, or not necessarily for free, but at a at much reduced cost. So, you, you know, that's a dangerous game to play. You don't want to condition your pay-per-view audience to believe that they can get your product at a cutthroat rate if they simply by waiting for a few weeks. I mean, look, Sam, I, I can just tell you this. I have, especially during football season, just because of what I have going on, I have found myself watching more and more MMA via DVR. I can tell you, I did watch Bellator live on Friday, and the thing that stuck out to me was uh, there just seemed to be literally no social media traffic for for the fight car, which was kind of telling. And, you know, it, it, to me, it's been interesting. You mentioned about that pay-per-view, and, and when you look at the television ratings for Bellator since that pay-per-view, they've not had a card average over 600,000 viewers. And, and that's got to be a, a scary moment for Bellator. I mean, obviously, you know, they're putting a lot of their marketing campaign into this heavyweight tournament starting off in 2018 on the Paramount Network. but And I've said this, and you know, one of the issues I truly believe that, that Bellator has is that they are on a channel that is not something that you're going to walk into a sports bar and automatically see. You know, you walk into a sports bar, ESPN's going to be on, FS1, ESPN2, uh, you know, networks like that. You know, Spike's not going to be on. And to me, that's one of the things I've always pointed to where – I truly believe that Bellator, and to a point the UFC, has to do a better job of marketing their product to, you know, that that twenty-one to thirty-year-old audience that's going out on every Friday and Saturday night. Well, not only is it not necessarily the type of channel that's played at sports bars on a regular basis, it's it's becoming less and less a channel that's played regularly in the home. Let's face it, you know, 
Spike TV, you know, soon to be Paramount Network, is not been a high-rated cable network. You know, I don't know if I, I don't think ever. You know, I, I can't remember the last time it was a top ten network. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is more and more cord cutters, but we've also seen the tier that it's featured on within many cable dist- uh, distributors. It's been downgraded. You know, you have to pay with. with for, for most cable distributors that, that I'm familiar with, you have to pay extra beyond the big, basic package to get Spike TV. It's not on the same tier anymore necessarily as FX, TNT, USA, and TBS. You've got to you know spend an extra $4.95 or $9.95 a month to get access to the tier that Spike TV's on. And I think a lot of people aren't aren't paying that 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 money. And you know I don't know if Viacom. Is necessarily featured on as many of the skinny skinny bundle packages that are out there now. I've seen it, on, you know, with, with for a couple services out there that I've researched, but there's a lot lot of them out there that are just focusing on ESPN, CNN, uh, TNT, you know, TBS USA. They're just focusing on the major uh, cable players, and they're not necessarily getting heavily involved with the the Viacom channels. And I know Viacom has, you know, Nickelodeon. And a couple other channels that that are highly coveted by, by households, but you know, Spike TV is not one uh, that that's really driving the market right now. And we'll see. Maybe Paramount uh, Network can change that, but I think there's been a lot of damage that's been done. I think the world has changed so much that it's going to be tough to to reverse course and get added to that more common tier that everyone gets when they uh, subscribe subscribe to cable and they get that basic package. You know, a lot of people that do have cable, they're switching between providers because they're getting the best deal possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get that, you know, that introductory deal, you get, you know, a basic offering of channels that Spike TV simply isn't featured on. And then when you switch back to the other competitor in town, once again, you find yourself in a position where Spike is not on that basic tier. So I think that's... Uh, the the another issue accessibility to Spike TV. Yes, just because it's carried by a cable provider does not mean it's necessarily accessible to the vast majority of the the subscribers that are just going with the bare minimum cable package. Yeah, I remember I had a buddy. He has a Spectrum cable, and when he had he had had the basic package, and you know went over to his house to watch the Bellator event. He didn't have Spike. It wasn't. He actually had to upgrade his package to be able to get Spike. And I remember I was looking at YouTube TV. And that's, it's sorry to cut you off, but that's to, to do that, Jason, certain cable providers, it's kind of dirty. Once you upgrade, it restarts your contract. It adds <laughs> yeah. another year. And it's like, well, I want to watch this show. It's not just nine ninety five that I'm paying for this month. I've now reset my whole cable budget for the next year. Yeah, no. And, and I was looking at YouTube TV. Uh, and I noticed that Spike was not on YouTube on YouTube TV. I noticed FS1 was, and all the various networks are. But it's uh, you know, look, you know, the way we consume, you know, television just has has completely changed. You know, I mentioned about that Bellator heavyweight tournament. Are, are you excited for that at all? I am, I am. But before we get into that, I, I want to backtrack one more time and, and give you a couple hot takes here that uh, maybe we can it can drive the show uh, promotion a little bit. Number one. UFC's in trouble. Number two, Bellator's in trouble. With the UFC, you know, uh, looking at this TV deal situation, they're not going to get 400 to, uh, $450 million. I, They're not even going to get $300 million. That's my prediction. And they based their, eva- their valuation of the acquisition of UFC from the Fertitta brothers based on a $300 million a year television rights fee deal. 
It's not going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, they're in trouble. And I think what we're going to see, we're going to see the current ownership of the UFC within the next two years. My prediction is the UFC will be sold once again soon after they consummate their new TV deal. Bellator is in trouble for the reasons that we talked about. Um, you know, it's, it's it, the ratings have not been strong since the pay-per-view. They've been, you know, really not good. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of growth as of late. And with Spike TV, soon to be Paramount Network, being downgraded on a lot of tiers with their viewership, uh, you know, potential viewership getting lower and lower by the year. I don't see the ratings going up. You know, I, I think this paper, I think the heavyweight tournament is going to be huge for them, Jason. I think that you know, I'm excited for it. I know a lot of other people are excited for it. But if it does not drive the ratings, you know, in critical mass when this this, you know, when the year's up that they're going to because I think it's going to take approximately a year to, to finish this tournament when that year is up. If there is not significant ratings growth, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. January 20th is where this thing starts. Uh, of course, same night as the UFC pay-per-view, which uh, the main event's not been officially announced at that pay-per-view yet. That uh, does have one title fight on it right now uh, with, with Cormier and Oldsmere. We'll get into that. I mean, I, when I look at a tournament, Mitriona, to me, is a favorite to win the tournament. I I would agree with that. Uh, you know, the, the, the top... the the. The fighters that are closest to their prime in this tournament are all 205 pounds. And it's very – and a 205-er can potentially jump up on an isolated schedule and, and win a fight here or there as a heavyweight. But to commit to a full schedule over the course of a year fighting guys that are that much larger, larger than you, that hit that much harder than you, that's a tough grind to, to win three consecutive fights above your weight class. To me, when I look at that bracket, Sam, the winner comes out of the right-hand side of that bracket, which is uh, Mitrione uh, against Nelson, which is going to be February 16th. And then uh, you got King Mo and Ryan Bader, which is going to be in May in, in California. Uh, the, the actual date for that fight has not been announced. I mean, you, you look at the other side of the bracket, I I, I don't understand the rampage shell sauna matchup because I could, you know... You know, I could see Shale just taking that fight to the ground and winning it on the ground, or I could see Rampage knocking him out. Uh, you know, the Fedor Mir fight, I think it's going to be a fight people get excited about, but I think we both know at some point there's going to be an alternate in this tournament. The And the alternate could win the tournament because you've got a lot of guys that are older, uh, you know, that are really up there in age. You know, the, the guy that, that we both like to win the tournament, Matt Mitrione, he's no spring chicken either. Oh. <laughs> He's what, 38, so, I think he's 38 or 39, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, so I see the, if they bring in a couple younger alternates, I see the uh, alternate. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if an alternate came out and won this tournament. You know, it, it, you and I are predicting Mitrione because he's, you know, a known quantity. But when we start to hear about some of these alternates, once once those alternates get finalized, you and I may have to change our prediction. First off, can we stop the Roy McDonald as an alternate talk? Oh, that, that was that, that's the dumbest thing. I, for, I'm first sure. Off. I'm sure that that Bellator is indulging him on that because it's something that he's expressed. But I don't think it's anything that I, I, I couldn't believe that it's something they'd be interested in. Let's be honest about it. The likelihood is the semifinals and finals will take place in one one or two jurisdictions: the Mohegan Sun or California. And there's no way I see Mike Mazzulli or Andy Foster 
approving Roy McDonald in a heavyweight fight? I don't. I don't either. You know, he doesn't have the frame for it. He's not Anthony Johnson. You could say, well, Anthony Johnson competed at welterweight and, you know, competed a couple times at heavyweight. But once he moved out of welterweight, his primary weight class was 205. He he only fought a couple fights at, uh, at heavyweight. And, you know, he actually had the frame for it, not only had the frame for it, but had the strength for it. I've seen him spar. He The guy is incredibly strong, strong as an ox. Rory McDonald might be, you know, might possess good strength for, for a 170-pound fighter and there might be some matchups for him at 185 that makes sense um but you know you're not talking about him going to 205 you're talking about him going all the way from 170 to heavyweight it's it's stupid it's criminally stupid and i can't believe that bellator is seriously entertaining it i think it's you know i think it's probably a response to to his desire to do it and a response to some of the dissatisfaction that he uh aired out um you know, on MMA fighting, uh, I think it was with Ariel when he did his show, uh, you know, many months back, right after his first fight, you know, he expressed some unhappiness about, I guess, the frequency of, of uh, his fights and, you know, some of the behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, in lieu of that, you know, I guess, you know, you get a call from Rory McDonald saying, hey, what about this heavyweight thing? You don't want to poo poo him necessarily, um, <laughs> but it's not something that you'd seriously consider. Yeah, it's, uh, you know. We'll, we'll we'll ultimately see kind of how how that does play. I mean, you know, one of the things with that bracket was announced. The other thing that really jumped out to me and, and look, you know, scouting heavyweight MMA is a difficult thing. <laughs> is no homegrown talent. It's all talent that they have acquired from either you know fighting in the UFC or, or fighting in Strike Force. It's expensive to d- develop heavyweight talent. You know, we tried to do it at Bellator, and at one point, I got so frustrated that I went into, uh, you know, the office of Bjorn and Tim, essentially, you know, not really an office a conference call, and said, "Look, you know, if, if we keep trying to do this heavyweight thing the way that we're doing it, it's always going to be second and third rate, and it's never going to be entertaining. Let's change our focus and just go out and get heavy hitters." Let's, you know, if, if nothing else, let's make a exciting heavyweight division. Maybe it won't be the most critically acclaimed division out there, but at least it will be something that people enjoy and watch and, and could maybe draw some ratings. The way we're doing things, you know, we're never going to consistently beat the UFC for top level heavyweight prospects. You know, they're willing to pay, you know, an arm and a leg for those guys. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, those guys are like gold when the UFC sees them, you know, they're, they're typically when you're a prospect, you know, being recruited by the UFC, it's a take it or leave it offer. You don't have much leverage when you negotiate with the UFC when on an entry level deal, unless you're a highly regarded heavyweight. And once the UFC is in the picture and they're willing to go above their typical minimums, it's very tough for a secondary or third promotion to even come close to competing with what the UFC can offer. So, you know, the, it, it it makes sense for Bellator rather than to make a risky initial investment and, and pay an overinflated price that that, you know, allows them to beat the UFC to get some of these prospects. It, it, it kind of makes sense for them to allow those guys to be de- developed by the UFC and wait to till they're proven before they pay big money. Wait until they at least brought in, uh, you know. Wait until they at least generated a uh, fan base uh, that they can bring over before you pay that money. You know, Roy Nelson, far from his prime, but the guy does have a fan base. Same with Matt Mitrione. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not. You know, he's not twenty nine. He's not twenty eight. He's not. You know, 
in you know his athletic prime, but he's established. So if you're going to pay an arm and leg for a heavyweight, might as well pay for a guy that's established rather than a guy that's unproven and maybe could become a superstar. By the way, speaking of Bellator, uh, I like that Jake Hager signing, a.k.a. Jack Swagger, for those who yeah, don't know, yeah. uh, actually trains here in, in my hometown of, of Tampa. I mean, to me, I mean, you know, if I'm Bellator, his debut is either here in Tampa, where there is a, a big pro wrestling community, or his debut is, is on the campus of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, but it, it'll be very interesting to see kind of, you know, who they match him up against. Uh, I I would imagine that it's it's going to be a fight that they truly believe he can win. Um, I don't think it's going to be the CM Punk route right. that the UFC went. Oh um, You know, it, but it's it's going to be some time before you know. Like we got a question about asking who he could debut. Uh, you know, even mention names like Justin Wren, James Thompson, Ken Shamrock. Mm, no, yeah. no, and no. no. <laughs> no across the board on that one. My guess is his debut will be against a guy who's either also making his pro debut or is like one or two fights in his career. Yeah, he's going to be fighting a guy we've never heard of. Yeah, and you know what? You you can't – and that's the route that, that Bellator should go with him because you want to try to get the most people. But I, I do like that signing. Um, you know, I think it's really – he's been a guy that I think people have kind of talked about making that transition to MMA for three or four years probably. I think it's going to be tough for him to make the transition at such a late age, but it's easy to 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 forget that coming out of college, he was a huge prospect. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he had a really outstanding college career, and even though he was heavily recruited by WWE, a lot of MMA promotions were interested in him as well. He kind of killed that interest when, uh, you know, he put it out there that you know his preference was to go into pro wrestling. So you know, a lot of uh, promotions were driven away from that, but. He could have had a, a you know a, a, a you know immediate future in MMA coming out of college. I mean, the, he he was a high high level uh, you know college wrestler uh, competing you know for a very prestigious wrestling program. So um, he definitely could have had that career. I, you know, you look at Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley, you know, that's the comparison that I make because Bobby Lashley was a guy that was also was a decorated amateur wrestling. Um, probably not anywhere near as decorated as Jake Hager. He didn't come from the same type of program. Um, but he, the similarity that, that I make though, is he's a guy that, you know, was in pro wrestling for a while and came into MMA at a very late, late age. And that's what Hager is kind of doing. He's probably, a, probably a little younger than, than, uh, Lashley when Lashley made the transition, but, um, it, it's still not going to be easy for him, but you look at the success that Lashley's had coming in late and it hasn't always been easy for him and he hasn't beaten you know any you know huge names you know in, in their prime but overall his record is, is pretty solid um you know I, do i think hager can come in and and have a similar type of career probably i don't think he's as physically gifted as bobby but he he might be technically a better wrestler you know better amateur wrestler wrestler than bobby yeah it'll be interesting to kind of see how, how that does play out uh i did want to ask you about vulcan Olsmere because i thought you could offer a really unique insight into this being a you know a former matchmaker if you're the ufc and and, and kind of my take on the vulcan Olsmere thing is if the incident happened in august and he gets arrested in november to me that from the outside looking in to me i think the police believe they have a solid case against him but you have to remember, Jason, you know, this is a sport where men and women get punched in the face for a living. But so you're there, not you're not dealing with conventional personalities. You have a lot of people involved in this industry that have some check marks 
on their criminal background. So for me, Jason, if I was a matchmaker in that situation, I would need to do a lot of research as to exactly what went down. If it was a situation where, you know, Vulcan Ozdemir just got up out of nowhere and started striking someone, that would be a concern. But if it was a bar fight that, you know, a, a tense situation that escalated and someone was stupid enough to, to push the buttons of a pr- professional fighter and they came out of the losing end on that exchange, I don't know if I would, you know, feel a need to discipline them myself. But here's a concern I have, Sam. He's an international fighter, likely over here on a work visa. What happens if that visa gets, you know, taken away from him? That to they me pro- would be the concern for the UFC. There's people that you can call. If you have a really connected immigration lawyer, they can make phone calls and they can find out, give you some some idea of whether or not uh, there's going to be an issue. And he's already here. The fact that he's already here, you know, to 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 deport or extradite someone, it's it's a legal process, and it takes time. So. You know, I don't think the UFC would have made that decision without a reasonable amount of investigation, and they wouldn't have uh, reaffirmed his status on the card without without doing their due diligence. And I think they probably have the information that they need to feel comfortable moving forward with that fight. Yeah, it makes you wonder uh, if we get to January twentieth, if is there a piece that runs in a Boston paper by a non sports reporter about that incident. Probably, you know, if a, if a reporter is doing their job properly, that that is a, a an issue that needs to be, you know, addressed. But we don't know necessarily what happened. We don't know how yeah. that situation evolved. You know, there there are plenty of people that instigate fights, mm-hmm. lose the fight, and then cry foul afterwards. <laughs> that that is uh, that is very true. So we'll see what happens on that situation. Uh, a guy you're very familiar with, Ben Askren, um, we believe had his last fight recently over there in, in one uh, championships. Of course, a fight that uh, I pretty much figured would not last very long against Ioki. Only goes 57 seconds. From from a sporting aspect, I would love to see Ben Askren in the UFC, but I just realized that five percent chance it happens. Well, there's a zero percent chance that it happens. Dana White doesn't want him in there. I know certain people point to the fact that Ben Askren signed with one F one FC after leaving Bellator. Um, you know, they point to that and they claim that he never wanted to go to the UFC because, you know, he didn't want to fight that level of competition and, and really truly challenge himself and that, you know, he priced himself out of a deal. I don't think that's true at all. From the people that I've spoken to, Ben Askren never even had an opportunity to take less than he felt he was worth from the UFC from all the, the research that I've done from all the people I've spoken to. I know of no example of a time when Ben Askren was even offered a minimum level deal from the UFC. It was never an option from him, um, for him, from what I've been told. Now, if that that's incorrect information, you know, I would love for, for Ben or someone that, that, that knows for sure to come out. But, you know, based on the people that I've spoken to, Ben Askren never had the option to fight for the UFC, even on a minimum level deal, which says a lot to me. I know that, uh, you know, I believe that Joe Silva was very interested at one point in bringing Ben in, but he was always overruled by Dana White and the Fertitas. They wanted no part of that because they knew that there was a very high likelihood that he would become their welterweight champion. And they just didn't think his fighting style was one that was conducive to being a, a superstar. That he was going to beat a lot of their their guys that they felt was that that they felt were more marketable. Um, 
and they were going to have to pay him a lot of money to do that and that they would not necessarily get a good ROI. But if you're running an organization that's a true sport, how can you not at least offer Ben Askren a minimum level deal? Yeah, I just just as a sports fan, I hope we see it, but I know that uh, we'll never see it. I mean, hell, there's probably a better chance you see Greg Hardy in the UFC than you see Ben Askren. You know what, Jason? If he's going to compete as a heavyweight and he's going to keep winning fights, you know, that I think you'll see him in the UFC. I really do. And I don't think he should be in the UFC. I don't ever want to see him in the UFC. But, you know, I, I think when it comes to a lot of so- social issues, the UFC uh, necessarily isn't always on the right side of, of those issues. And, you know, if he gets to if he keeps beating lower level competition, knocking them out and gets to a seven and oh, eight, no record and is getting a lot of attention in doing so. I think the UFC is going to sign him. It would not. I don't think it's likely necessarily, but it would not surprise me if it were to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't either. I, uh, and I, I think it's a disgrace that people are training him. Someone that has gone out there and physically abused women. There are now people that call themselves martial artists that are teaching him proper fighting technique to make him even more dangerous uh, uh, of a human being. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I just hope that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, you mentioned about Dana White and uh, that scrum he did uh, last oh, week. <laughs> I just, you know, people wonder why the media doesn't take Dana White serious with a lot of things he said. And and now you're seeing fans are doing it, too, where you just don't believe anything he says. You know, I I think Dana, in certain instances, gets a bad rap. And I do admire a lot about him. I admire his rise, um, you know, professionally. You know, you know, he's a guy that, you know, didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth and worked his way to the top. He's a self-made individual. I respect that. But some of these recent comments, you know, he's starting to, to, to appear to me a little unhinged at times. And, you know, we talked about it several episodes ago when Joe Rogan came out and said he thought Dana White might be suffering from CTE. And, you know, I don't think Rogan necessarily meant it the way it, it came off. Um, I think he meant it in, in a more innocent uh, way and not very malicious. And I kind of, you know, admonished Joe Rogan for even speculating that someone would have CTE. But, you know, I'm going to kind of <laughs> do a 180 here and say that, you know, based on some of these comments and the lack of strategic logic behind them, something's going on with Dana White. I don't know if he's just highly stressed out, if he's burned out by this, if, if the industry is getting even more crazy than it was before, or if, you know, him having trained as a boxer so many years ago, if, if you know, sparring, you know, is kind of contributed because these comments don't make any sense. His, his repeated desire to try to emasculate his talent, his, his athletes by claiming they've accepted fights that they haven't accepted. You know, I understand the the promotional tactic in that. You kind of try to back someone into, into the corner. And if they if they don't end up taking the fight, then they look like a coward necessarily. But to continually do that over and over again, to do it to the level of fighters that they have, the, the amount of money that they've invested in some of these guys. And, and you know, Tyron, Woody, Tyron Woodley has called him a demoter. Um, to, to, to consistently do what he's done recently, it defies logic. He is hurting the product it's yeah. not how you build stars i mean just look at the you know the when he, he came out and said he wanted to do stephen thompson versus darren till and has no idea that stephen thompson may have two broken thumbs 
Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, look, I, I get that they use the media to try to get the fights happen that they want to happen, but it, it's almost like, you know, hey, how about you find out if a guy's actually healthy enough to take a fight in, in three months? And, you know, like, you see the stuff that, you know, like the they wanted Tony Ferguson, to, you know, to take a fight against Khabib, you know, essentially on 45 days notice. And it's like, you know, you know, give him a big guaranteed salary. I, I bet he'll take the fight. But I, I just think that the days, of, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to the UFC TV deal is it's because you're trying to do so many fights and you just don't have the the top of the, the roster that can make all these pay-per-views happen. But you can't force these guys into these situations. It's a tactic that they're that he's falling back on almost every week. You know, he, he comes out and says that TJ versus DJ is the next fight at 125, and then you know, within hours, you see a tweet by Ariel Hawani saying that no, this fight's far from done. You know, coming out and saying that you know Nate Diaz was never offered to Tyron Woodley, and then you have Tyron Woodley and Nate Diaz both coming out in their different ways saying that that's not true. You know, you had Tyron come out the next day and saying it wasn't true, and then you have Nate Diaz coming out, you know, confirming what Tyron Woodley said, and Nate Diaz went about it in a completely different way, but <laughs> you know. He's calling out Dana White and his credibility. And you keep doing these types of things and you keep getting exposed, you know, on a consistent basis. And, you know, it kills your credibility. And Dana White's brand was so strong that, you know, that was a big reason why IMG and WME, they wanted to purchase the UFC and then not only purchase it, but keep him on. And he's hurting his brand by continually doing this, you know, saying that Connor was going to fight by the end of December and then it, it wasn't going to, ha- you know, then it comes out, it's not going to happen. Then he has to come out and say, it's not going to happen until the summer. Um, you know, that, that, that's kind of screwy. And, you know, it's just a lot of these, these fake announcements. It's, I don't understand the logic behind it. Yeah. I mean, why like, kill your, why kill your credibility? Well, it, it's like, I was having this conversation with somebody this week and it's like, when's the next big UFC fight going to be? When Connor fights next, I guess. I, 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 yeah, I mean, you know, he says he doesn't want Ronda to come back. Um, so, well, I mean, this is also the same organization that let Michael Bisping fight three weeks after being and not, you know, choked out unconscious and dropped. I mean, that and that's that was another unhinged decision. I, I don't understand that. And they come out and double down and try to justify by saying he was fine. How are you fine after taking that that initial loss like that? No fighter's fine after taking a beating like that, uh, you know, after just three weeks. It's just, you know, I don't know what's going on with the UFC right now, and I'm not even sure that they do. I, I will tell you this. I went, I went back and watched UFC 218, and obviously I knew the result of the main event already. But there was a part of me going, if Aldo would have somehow made it to the end of the third round, which he was clearly out, and, and uh, we was Herb Dean was the referee that fight. Herb gave him every opportunity to to survive. I'm like, his corner would have sent him out there for the fourth round. And he was a beaten man. And it's, in a way, kind of, it was sad to watch, Sam. You know, a a guy who is, you know, an an all-time great in MMA, and you kind of see how things have gone. And maybe it says a lot about Max Holloway. And to me, it's going to be really interesting. Can they make Max Holloway a star? I think they well, I think he has what it takes to be a star, but the way from a promotional perspective, the way that they've gone about things over the last year and a half to two years, 
I don't know that they can do it. I, I believe that the Fertitas could have done it. I don't know if WMEIMG, I don't know if they know how to build stars in MMA. I, I have no confidence that they can do it. Has there been one star since they've taken over that they've created? No. No. So they have not created a single star during their tenure. No. And we're going on, what, two years now? Or, you know, uh, a year and a half, year and a half. I mean, year and a half. It, it's like, you know, like we got a question about Francis Ngannou from Brian asking, could the UFC penetrate the African market with a star heavyweight like Ngannou, maybe hold a card in African countries like Cameroon, uh, Nigeria, South Africa, etc. I mean, obviously they're going to do uh, Miocic and Ngannou. I think they want to do that as a main event of UFC 220 on January 20th. Uh, to me, I... I I think that, you know, Miocic's next fight should be in Cleveland. I don't think it should be in another market. I think you should go right back to Cleveland, Miocic. I mean, that was, holy cow, what a knockout that was. Uh, scary knockout, yep. too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I look, I think there's still questions on Ngannou. I, I would probably still pick Miocic because I do wonder about if Miocic uses his wrestling, how can uh, Ngannou, you know, be a defensive wrestler. But, man, sign me up for wanting to see that fight. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a fight. Uh, I, I believe it should be in Cleveland as well, but I don't know how happy the UFC necessarily is with Stipe, <laughs> considering he there's still a contract holdout. You know, that's that's everyone keeps pointing to that fight as the next matchup to make at heavyweight. But ha, does the UFC have that option to make the fight right now? What levers does Stipe have? He could. He's a smart guy. He can walk away and say, you know what, I'm not going to fight for you anymore. Yeah, I, I mean that's at the end of the day, you got to have leverage. You know, it's. You know, that best. he could. Well, look, what what leverage do the Diaz brothers have? Ooh. They other than the fact that they've made enough money to say, you know what? All right. I can't negotiate with other promotions, but I don't necessarily have to fight for you, UFC. I can you know that I can cost you money by simply not fighting. This is the thing about Nate. Is he a draw if Connor's not on the other side of the octagon? Um, He. You know he he's a needle he's a needle mover. Let, let's say it's Nate Diaz. He's a needle mover. Let, let's say Nate Diaz, Tyron Woodley. You know, a fight that's been thrown out there. Could that pay per view sell six hundred fifty thousand buys? No, I think you're looking at anywhere between four hundred thousand to four hundred fifty thousand. Which in today's MMA is a good number. It's great. Yeah, that's that's you know maybe ten years ago. You know, I shouldn't say ten years ago, but six to eight years ago. That wouldn't have been a a major number, but in in today's landscape, that's a massive number. Yeah, no, I just I, you know, I, just as a consumer, I'd like to see the UFC reduce their pay per views, but I know that's not going to happen. I know it's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't think they're going to have a choice. I think they're going to have to, and I think to to get that two hundred, even to secure the two hundred million dollar year with Fox, you know, Fox isn't just going to hand them an extra hundred million dollars a year. They're they're going to want something for that money. There has to be something to justify that increase. You know, you look at the NFL deals. When the NFL deals go up, you know, they go up, but there's always some kind of added, you know, some something added to it. Whether it's more access to the coaches, more access to the locker room, um, you know, a, a different television package, or the ability to flex games. There's always a new wrinkle. So the UFC is going to have to add a new wrinkle to this deal, just like any other major uh, sports franchise. And I think, you know, the caliber fights, they're going to have to offer Fox more matchmaking approval, the ability to have more mm -hmm. input over what goes on their air. I think the days of the UFC just being able to schlock together a card, 
slap it on there and, and show it on, you know, Fox Sports One or Fox. You know, I, I'm not saying they have that ability to do it on Fox necessarily, but although the undercard, I'm not that impressed with for the next show coming up. But, uh, you know, some of the shows that they put on FS1 have been really, really weak. You know, I mean, beyond weak mm-hmm. in, in certain yeah. instances. And they're not going to be able to get away with that with this next TV deal if they go back to Fox. That's going to change. No. Uh, let's get a couple other uh, quick items here, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Uh, you know, on the commission side of things and stuff going on Ohio and then uh, what's going on in Arkansas, people didn't see the, the story by Dan Raphael uh, about a fighter who was HIV positive uh, fighting in Arkansas. It's a story that I heard. Uh, I will say this about the Arkansas commission. I've been looking into them. Um, there is some conflicts of interest in that commission. There, there's no questions about it. Uh, I, I think some of those stories will ultimately come out. And uh, But, uh, you know, it's... It's very interesting the things that you hear that go on in commissions that are not your big states. Yeah. It's well, just, it's amazing to me. Some of the uh, things I hear. Is that even, you know, certain commissions, Jason, they're volunteer commissions. Correct. I, yeah. I know in West Virginia, we couldn't even get people on the phone to get our fight card approved because we were told it's a volunteer commission. You just have to go by their schedule. And it's like, well, we're, we're, we're coming to do a show. <laughs> you've already you know approved our permit you know we're, we're, we're we've got a promoter's license we're coming to do a show you know you, you need to pick up the phone you know at least a couple times a week yeah no it's uh there, i think there's you're gonna see more stuff come out about arkansas o- over the next couple of months in, in terms of that but uh, we'll see what happens there uh, yeah i mean that's that's criminal negligence right there allowing someone with hiv to potentially infect a- another person that, I, I think you're gonna see a massive lawsuit if I am the opposing fighter, I am, I am having multiple conversations with different attorneys. Yeah, you know, to see what happens there. Uh, but to- at the end of the day, Jason, and I'm not a lawyer. Uh, we got that line <laughs> out there, but I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how much that fighter will be able to sue for. Yeah, because know. you know you have to show some kind of damage. Yeah, I know. And I mean... it's 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 it sounds kind of crazy. Well, he didn't contract HIV. He can't really sue for. You know what damage did it really incur? I mean, unless he can show that he's was mentally stressed and put in, into duress over this incident, and then show medical bills, you know, uh, uh, psychiatric bills, you know, it, he's it's a very limited amount of money from what I understand that he could actually go after. Yeah, uh, Tim Elliott. I'm sure everyone has seen his comments about Roxanne Modafari's uh, pay for uh, the Ultimate Fighter finale. I will say this, Sam. I was fairly shocked when I got that email from the Nevada commission that both her and her opponent made a hundred K flat for the alternate fighter 26 finale. I was, that was a surprising figure. I'll say that. Well, first off, good for them and good for Roxanne. You know, she's been in this game for a very long time has fought for very small purses and has fought on very small shows and really has made a lot of sacrifices to, to pursue, her career in MMA and is very influential, you know, at least in my mind when it comes to the growth of female mar- uh, mixed martial arts. So good for her. I can understand Tim Elliott's perspective of feeling slighted that he didn't get that amount, but you don't have to come out and trash the fighter. You know, congratulate her for getting paid and say, you know, and don't put her down. Just say, hey, you know, I think she's worth this, but I w- I'm worth what she's worth as well. Why didn't I get paid that amount? You know, you, you don't have to go out and disparage a fellow fighter. That that really, 
uh, I have a huge issue with how Tim Elliott handled that situation. I can understand that he was unhappy, that he wasn't paid anywhere near close to that. But the way he articulated it was completely wrong. And when fighters do that kind of thing, it completely, you know, it just uh, it really is a form of self-mutilation because, you know, fighters should be rooting for one another to get paid as much as possible. They're all in the same boat at the end of the day. And to, to say someone was overpaid and didn't deserve what they get pay, they got paid is absolutely ridiculous. Fighters should not be coming out against other fighters when it comes to pay. Uh, there was a tweet last week from uh, John Anik that Josh Gross uh, replied to. The tweet from John Anik said, quote, and this is about UFC 218, quote, this has got to be the first time in UFC history that every fighter on the pay-per-view main card is ranked number six in the world or better, hashtag, UFC 218, Josh Gross's response, UFC rankings aren't world rankings. I guess my response to be is, well, who, what fighters outside the UFC would you put in the top 10? Well, Jason, I, I think there's quite a few that you could put in the top 10, and I think that number grows every time Bellator goes out and makes one of these big acquisitions. You know, you look at Askren, I, I, granted he's no longer an active competitor, but you look at a lot of these guys in Bellator, guys that have been there for a while, guys like Doug Lima, I think belong in the top 10, but guys that have defected from the UFC, guys like Rory McDonald are top 10 caliber. And the more that Bellator continues to invest in the free agent market, the more we're going to see top 10 fighters, not in the UFC, uh, exist. You know, Ben Henderson was a guy when he left originally, I felt he was a top 10 guy. Um, you know, and, and, you know, again, go back to Doug Lima, you know, Mike Chandler, there, there's a lot of guys. And I think the number's only going to grow over time. So I agree with the principle of what Josh Gross said. I don't necessarily agree with him coming out against John Anik because, you know, they are former colleagues and to try to contradict a, a former colleague like that in public, I'm not sure if that was the, the best move. And, you know, you can't fault John Anik necessarily because he's a high-paid employee of the UFC, mm -hmm. of course he's going to refer to their rankings as world rankings. He's going to call those rankings whatever the, the UFC tells him to exactly. call those rankings. I think the, the, the real issue here, though, is, Jason, is the, is the fact that the real issue here, Jason, is the fact that the UFC is, you know, encountering a lot of, you know, legal opposition and, and other opposition with regards to how it calls its, you know, titles, world titles, and its rankings, world rankings. And You've got, you know, Representative Mullen coming out and, you know, uh, trying to change that system. You know, if, if I was the UFC, Jason, you know, and, and the vast majority of my viewership already believes that, you know, this is where the best fighters fight anyway. What about just dropping the, the, the term world rankings and just calling them UFC rankings? What about dropping the term mm -hmm. world from the, from their titles and just calling them UFC titles? You know, in doing that, does that potentially, you know, create some, some legal maneuvering for them? Does that get them out of some, some hot water by no longer promoting their rankings and titles as, as world titles? Yeah, because no. I, look, I think there's there's cases, and I think you bring up some great fighters that could be mentioned as top ten fighters, but I, I think, you know, I think also the problem becomes is when you go to a Bellator, how, how do you maintain that top ten ranking if you're not fighting maybe someone who's ranked above you, you know? It's difficult, but there are guys that are top 10 caliber just in talent and performance that you see it in their in their performance. And even though they're not necessarily fighting top 10 opposition on a regular basis, they are still one of the best fighters in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, I will tell you this, that uh, that I mean, look, let's look at Eddie Alvarez. I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off again, but look at Eddie Alvarez. A lot of people 
chided him and said, oh, you know, he's just beating a bunch of bums in Bellator. Then he goes over to the UFC, wins the world title. Yes, he lost the title to Conor McGregor, but he comes back and performs the way he did, you know, last night. I mean, Eddie Alvarez was always a top 10 lightweight in my mind, you know, ever since he left welterweight and went down to that division, ever since he's, you know, uh, fought at 155, he's been one of the best in the world, regardless of what promotion he fought for. Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... You know, the, the whole Ali act and that hearing that happen, I, I don't, you know, Mullen taking words out of context of something that uh, Mark Ratner said, I, you know, I, I can tell you that that's not going to go over very well with a lot of people in this industry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt he totally disrespected Ratner. Not only did he take a lot of things out of context and, and twist them, he wouldn't even let the guy answer a question. Yeah, that was my biggest thing was like, look, you know, I get you have, you know, a certain amount of time that you you ask questions. But when when Mark starts answering and he's three words into his answer, you interrupt I mean, him. I, I just I thought Mullen came off horrible in, in that hearing. I, I'm 100 percent with you there. Yeah, and of course, I know there's going to be another hearing sometime in the spring, you know, and, and we'll see if anything uh, does uh, come about that. Uh, a couple other quick questions again here just before we get out of here. Cub Swanson, of course, he fights on Saturday, last fight of his UFC deal. We were asked if we see him at Bellator next year. I, I mean, look, I, I think for Cub Swanson, it, it's going to be, is Bellator going to essentially overpay for your services? And, and I do wonder with kind of the television ratings where they're currently at with Bellator, are... Are there going to be people above in, in Viacom offices that are going to still continue to kind of give an open checkbook to sign guys? I don't believe so. This this cannot sustain itself. Something is going to have to change, and I think it may change sooner rather than later. We're we're going to see you know what happens when it converts to the Paramount Network. If they can go out there and successfully develop scripted programming you know, and raise the overall pro- overall profile and the viewership of that network, that could be a tremendous ratings boon to, to, to Bellator by bringing more people to the network and, and giving them, you know, better, uh, you know, more, more of a lead-in audience and more of a crossover audience. If, if Paramount Network can do that, that, that that's going to help. But I, I think Paramount Network might be so far behind the game when it comes to scripted series and, and, and second-run uh, movies and bidding on those second run movies. Um, you know, I, I just think that there, there's too much of a a distance to narrow there. You know, you look at Netflix spending six billion dollars a year. You look at HBO remaining such a prolific producer of exclusive content. You know, what level of shows can Paramount produce? You know, I don't see the next Game of Thrones showing up on Paramount Network. And yeah. even if they get something of that quality. Is the platform there? Is the stage there for the, for them to draw the same type of audience that that HBO or Netflix can with those with those with properties of a similar similar quality? You know, an example I'll use is Conor McGregor. You know, if, if Bellator had signed Conor McGregor before he went to the UFC, could Conor McGregor have been Conor McGregor that we know in Bellator? You know, can the next Game of Thrones be the next Game of Thrones on Paramount Network? We don't know the answer to that question. It's going to be answered within the next year, year and a half. And if the answer to that question is no, and this heavyweight tournament does not do, uh, you know, uh, major does not perform a major ratings growth for Bellator, then, uh, you know, something big is going to happen. Uh, we did get asked about who we think uh, win these fights. One fight that was asked, I'm not even going to mention because it's never going to happen. Rory McDonald versus Ryan Bader. No one's going to 
regulate that. Yeah. Uh, Koreshkov daily. I like Koreshkov. Uh, Miocic and Ghana, we talked about that earlier. I, I, I would pick Miocic right now. Uh, GSP Woodley, I, I don't think that fight ever happens. Um, you know, Obviously, GSP's got some health uh, things to get squared away, but I would pick Woodley. Uh, Karatanov versus Mir, I'd, I'd probably go Karatanov. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with all of those, and I think Woodley actually would potentially dominate George St. Pierre at this yeah. stage of George's uh, career. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. But, uh, Sam, man, it was great uh, talking MMA. Always uh, good to talk to you. Of course, uh, fans can always hit you up on Twitter. Yep, uh, at Sam Kaplan MMA, Kaplan with a C, and I want to wish everyone a, a happy and healthy, safe holiday season. And, of course, this has been the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. Join us each week for the Valor Hour, where we discuss everything Valor Fight and beyond. We're talking about the biggest combat sports news from across the world. It's the Valor Hour with me, Casey Oxendine, and Tim Loy, and we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.